All right, Advent. Congregation, you get a test. I think I forgot to do this last week, and all of you were breathing a sigh of relief. But what does Advent mean? Coming or arriving. Very good. Gold stars for a bunch of you. Malachi, his name means... Ooh, Miss Debbie gets a lot of points today. Malachi means my messenger. The book of Malachi. And this is a book of worship. We've talked about that this is a book about worship. Written around 470 to 450 B.C. And God's people, they were taken away in the Babylonian captivity and they have returned back to the promised land. And they have rebuilt the temple and it seems like they have reinstituted worship. And they possibly are building the wall around the city. But there's a problem. There's something missing. Even though they've reinstituted worship in the ways that they would like to, it's not the ways that God has said. And the presence of God is not there with them. And they are worshiping. And as we looked in chapter 1, the priests who were leading the people... They're bringing sacrifices that are not honoring to God. And throughout this book, there's a bunch of disputations between the people, and they keep complaining to God. And they keep saying that things aren't right, and things seem to be better for everybody else. And part of the problem is that they're looking to their circumstances to see God's grace and His love instead of looking to God Himself. Ever done that? You ever looked at your circumstances and said, I'm not sure God's in control? Or if He is in control, I'm not sure, not sure He's right in what He's doing. We said over and over how God is referred to as the Lord of hosts more in this book than any other, which gives us a vision of God on His throne and all the angels and all around Him showing that He is in control and the people, are they're just confused. In chapter 2, I encouraged you to love God from your heart. I encouraged you to walk with your God. I encouraged you to stand in awe of your God. And some of you said it was hard to Hard to be in awe of Him at times. My encouragement was to stare at Him. Stare in the Word until He shows you His glory. We then saw that He was going to send the messenger before the Lord. He would come. And last week we jumped in deep with the idea of joy. And I said to you that there is a supernatural joy that only comes from sacrifice or suffering. Again, many times our joy for for many of you, and Brother Ferlin talked about this on Sunday night, you get that confused with happiness. And the things of this world and your circumstances dictate your state of mind. And it's true, we have circumstances that make us happy and sad, but there should be an overwhelming joy that the believer has. And so today we're going to look at peace. 
And my hope is, I'm showing my cards early today. My hope is, just like we talked about last week, where a supernatural joy only comes from sacrifice or suffering, I want you to get that there is only a peace, a supernatural peace that can come from fear. Mm-hmm. Think on it for a second. I want you to understand today that there is only the supernatural peace can only come from fear. And some of you are thinking through different Bible verses and different things you've heard about fear. I want to walk through this text today, and I pray that you walk away with a great fear in one sense, and thus a great peace. Sound good? All right. We left off last week in verse 12. We ended in verse 12. So I'm going to pick up in verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13, this last disputation. And then we're going to go into chapter 4. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And we will go into chapter 4 and finish the chapter today, Lord willing. The Lord has just gotten all over the people because they were robbing him. They were not giving as they should. They were giving God the leftovers, if anything. Verse 12 said, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. He said, Try me. God said to you, and he said to me, and he said to these people, Try me. Give like you should, and I will provide everything that you need, including a great joy. Now, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Lord says, goes again here, verse 13. He's saying, you guys are speaking harshly against me, but you don't even know how you're doing it. So you claim, verse 14, you have said, here's what they're saying to God. Or about God. It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Do you hear what they're asking or hear what they're saying? There's no benefit in serving God. Nothing good comes from it. It doesn't do anything for you. Look, you you try to serve God. You try to do the right thing. And bad stuff happens. You ever thought that before? And you look out and you see everybody else. They're not serving God. They're not following God. They're not worshiping God. And everything seems to go good for them. And then you look at my life. It feels like it's a wreck. It feels like it's not one thing, it's just another. It just keeps coming. But everybody else who does not fear the Lord, they seem to have it all right. You ever thought that before? If you have, you are just like the people in Malachi's time. If you haven't thought that before, you're a liar. We all do. We all do. And this is why it's helpful for us to read this. It's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping? Their eyes are off of God again. 
Brothers and sisters, you guys, you take your eyes off of the cross, you take your eyes off the empty tomb, and you start looking around and you fall into the same boat. Verse 15, and now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Make no mistake. They do not escape. He's going to clear some things up in the remaining verses. Let's move on. Most of God's people, here's what they're saying, right? They're saying all this negativity. But then there's verse 16. And oh, my prayer is that some of you are found in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. There are those who are just saying whatever they want, and then there are those who fear the Lord and they're speaking with one another. The Lord, look what He does. He paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. A couple of things with this book of remembrance. For some of you, you're going to think back and right away you go, oh, book of Esther, right? How many of you thought book of Esther immediately? All right. Let me see if I can jog your memory here. Do you remember that Mordecai saved the king? Remember, for those of you who were here, we worked through it, and Mordecai saved the king. And he wasn't rewarded right away for that. But they wrote it down in the book of remembrance. And then, just by coincidence, the king couldn't sleep one night. The same night that, again, everything was going to go against Mordecai. And he said, ah, bring me the history books. I want to read and he reads, and what does he read? He reads about Mordecai. And so thus, thus he blesses Mordecai. This is the same idea here. Whether this is the Lamb's book of life that's being spoken about here or it's symbolic, we're not really sure. But apparently, those who feared the Lord, they're speaking to one another. The Lord pays attention and he hears them. And a book of remembrance was written before him. His people being written down. Their faithfulness being written down those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Let me talk to you for just a second about fear. And what, we, what do we mean by fear and what we do not mean by fear? On your notes, Mark Dever here, and just a little ways down, I think he put it well. Here's what he says. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we are instructed to fear the Lord. It's said over and over and over again, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Here's what he says, and I think it's helpful. Fearing the Lord means having an ultimate regard for him. It means keeping our eye on him and giving our allegiance to him. Let me read it one more time for you. Fearing the Lord means having an ultimate regard for him. It means keeping our eye on him and giving our allegiance to him. Think about it this way. Some of you have been out on the water before when a bad storm's coming through. A bad storm. Thunder, lightning, it's coming. And as it's getting closer, you're trying to either outrun it or you somehow get caught in it. You ever been caught in a bad storm? There's a bit of a fear that goes on right then as that's coming. And as it... The dark clouds are over you and the lightning striking and you're feeling it deep inside as the, the thunder is rolling. 
and you think at any second, I could be a goner. That's not the type of fear I'm talking about. That's not the type of fear I'm talking about. I think a better way to think about the fear for the follower of God is, you know, when the boat makes it in and you drive to your house and you get inside and then you still look out of the window. In the house, for the most part, you're safe. For the most part. The bigger the house, the more comfortable you feel. You get inside and you look out and it still may be thundering and lightning. And it brings a respect and an honest of, wow, but you're safe in the house. Whereas when you were out in the boat, you had no idea whether you were going to be safe or not. For the Christian, when we're talking about fear, it means that we are respecting and in awe of who God is, and you're living your life in such a way that you have ultimate regard for him and not everybody else. Some of you do a really good job of fearing man, fearing what others think. You live your lives dictated by what others think or might think instead of fearing the Lord. So when you know something has to be said or something has to be done, you may or may not do it because you're worried about what somebody else might think or say. That is not fearing the Lord. That is fearing man. Some of you are living in continual sin. You do not understand the fear of the Lord. You do not understand the fear of the Lord. For those who can live in sin continually, you do not understand him and his awesomeness and his holiness. And believe me, you're still out in the boat, whether you realize it or not. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and live in continual, unrepentant sin for your life. You cannot do it. You should be changed from the inside out. So when we're talking about fear, I want you to have this in mind, keeping your eye on him, allegiance to him as we work through the rest of it. Verse 16 again, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Those who were thinking that way, they spoke to one another. Notice that they need one another to encourage one another to obey God. They need one another. Some of you really like the idea of being the Christian solo artist. It's not how it's designed. We need to be reminded of the truths of God. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine. Listen to verse 17. Christian, listen to verse 17. Don't worry about what's going on in the country. Don't worry about what's going on with the virus. Don't worry about what's going on in your life. Listen for those who fear the Lord. Listen to 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Brother or sister in Christ, fearing the Lord rightly shows you that you are His and a treasured possession. What in the world could you possibly fear if you belong to God? He has your life. He has your death. 
He has your resurrection. He has your eternity. What in the world should you fear other than him in a godly way? I'll make you my treasured possession and spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Verse 18, then once more you shall see the distinction. Here's the day. It's coming. There's a distinction to be made between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And you might say, well, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I love him. I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. You see the distinction here? It's those who serve him and those who do not. It's not that your service to him gains your salvation. But what it does mean is if you're actually saved, guess what you're going to do? You're going to serve him. If you have no desire to serve God, if that's not in your, ah, I don't really do that, that's not really for me, you're still out in the boat. You're still out in the boat. There is a day coming where a distinction will be made between the righteous and the wicked, and everybody, everybody will give an account for every single thing you have done or thought before God. And so those of you who are saying, I don't see justice right now, I don't see justice around me. Rest, dear one. It's coming. That day is coming. You do not have to fear. You do not have to worry. There is a day coming where each person will give that account and everybody will be watching and God will be proven true. For those who are in Christ, that day is actually going to be a glorious day. Because even as we give an account of the things that we've done that we're not too proud of. He says those are forgiven. Those who are still out in the boat, that lightning's going to strike. And that's going to be it. We need to get in our little rescue boats and get out there. We need to find them broken down out there and say, get in the boat and come with us to a place where you can still see the awesomeness of God, but you see it as a son or a daughter. Chapter 4, verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, the Lord says, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Ooh-hoo. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. He's going all the way down. But for you. But for you who what, my name? Fear my name. For you who have put me first and kept your eye on me. You've seen my awesomeness. Love me and you serve me because I first loved you. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Isn't that beautiful? And look what you guys get to be. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You're a bunch of leaping calves. Somebody says, who are you? Be like, yeah. My name's Phil Parker. I'm a leaping calf. (laughs) Because the son of righteousness shall rise and there's healing. And when there's healing, there's peace. 
And when there's peace, then that links back up to joy. And you can live your life in a way that doesn't have to be dictated by fear. Verse 3, and you shall tread down the wicked. Whoa, you get to leap. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. See, for those who are in Christ, you actually rule and reign with Christ because you're in him. You ever had somebody wrong you? One, we should forgive. However, there are some, they just keep doing it and they never repent. Many times the wicked are talked about. And apart from the grace of God, guess what? That's you and that's me. But there are those that continually do wicked. And what this is saying, he's reminding them, don't take your eye off of the ball. Keep your eyes on God. What they're doing, there will be judgment and you will sit in Christ in judgment over them. Every wrong will be made right. And that begins with the coming of our Savior, Christmas time. Him coming as that little baby born to the virgin that gets this ball rolling. Then he goes to the cross and he purchases it, he purchases you. After three days, he rises. He goes to be at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming back. That leads into here. So until he comes back, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Notice what he says. As they're waiting on Jesus' first coming, remember this is before Jesus comes the first time, he tells them, look back at the law. Obey your God. The same is true for us as we're waiting for his second coming. Obey your God. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. A lot of debate here on what Elijah is. I have some things in your notes for you to read. John the Baptist comes, and we actually see in Matthew 17 that Jesus explains that he's that Elijah who came. He came to preach in the spirit of Elijah. We also see on the Mount of Transfiguration that you have Moses, And you have Elijah up there with Jesus. Then there's going to be two prophets in the book of Revelation. Some of you have studied that before. There's debate there too. Some believe that that's when Elijah will come back again. A lot of debate, a lot of discussion. What's the point? The point is, as you wait for your Lord to return, you obey the commandments of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your as your And you hold on to the promises of the prophets. The promises of the coming one. Listen to the peace that rings out in verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. He says he's going to bring such peace that there'll be unity between fathers and sons. I think that's meaning peace between all. but there's still a choice to be made. It ends with the choice. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Brothers and sisters, where are we ending? You have a choice to make. This Christmas season and each and every day you have a choice to make. You will either fear the Lord your God or you will fear everything else. Some of you have been dictated 
by your circumstances, including COVID, including the election, including a particular relationship, you're being dictated and driven by fear. Let me give you the recipe for peace. I'm ending with this. Here's your recipe for peace. Fear God and keep his commandments and look to Christ. That's simple. Fear God, keep his commandments, and look to Christ. That comes out of Ecclesiastes 12, 13. End of the, the end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Fear God, keep his commandments. I'm just really looking for direction in my life right now. Fear God, keep his commandments. Isaiah 26, 3, listen to this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Did you hear that? You keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Fear God, keep his commandments, and look to Christ. Micah 5, 2 through 5, you can read over that. It's a prophecy. It says that God himself will be your peace. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, listen to this. For to, un, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and why would you not look on him who is the Prince of Peace? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. If you have a big God, you will have big peace. What do I mean by big God? I mean if you see God for the way the scriptures paint him as the sovereign mighty one and you look to him often, you will have great peace. Big God, big peace. Little God, little peace. If you view God as this little being that may or may not be able to help you, you will not have peace. And if you do not look to him often, you will not have peace. Let me hear over here, big God, big peace. Big God, big peace. You guys get the other side. Little God, little peace. Little God, little peace. Do you guys want to be the little God, little peace people? No. Over here again? Big God, big peace. Now you guys say what they said. Big God, big peace. Amen. Let me pray for you and ask God to show you how big he is and remind you to look at him over and over and rightfully fear him so you can have a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen?